Welcome to the Open Bedroom Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Kalo. Welcome to conversations about open relationships, online dating, conscious uncoupling, and creating the relationship that truly aligns for you. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you do a couple things for us. Would you subscribe? Would you write a review? Maybe share us with your friends. And lastly, follow us on The Open Bedroom. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to my conversation with Dr. Sarah Hill in part two of the effect birth control has on your brain. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to episode 116 and then come back and listen to the rest of this. So I've been on birth control of some form since I was 14 years old. I am now 40. I don't know what it's like to not have it. So <clears throat> I moved from the pill to my first child. And then after that, I had my first IUD. He is now 15. So I've had an IUD in my body, except for being pregnant with my second child the entire time that I have been an adult. And what I have read is to your point, the profile changes that I am afraid now, if I don't have one, I may not be as attracted to Scott. And I'm like, well, what the fuck do I do with that? So I went to my OB the last time that I, which was just this year that I had to have my Marina changed out. Cause it was like seven years in and she was like, okay. And interestingly, here's some things that we noticed. <clears throat> my smell changed. I started to have this I don't know if it was like a strong odor, but it was, it was not pleasant like it normally is. And Scott was like, what is going on with you? And I was like, I don't know, but I, I can tell too. We were also like, I think in the mid, in the middle of like, we had like a new partner and we had a, a closed triad. So she wasn't, we were not using any protection so it was also, you know, her, the inside of her mixing with the inside of me because we were having three ways. And so that could have been part of it. But I think it was long enough that we noticed I smell different. I noticed he smelled different. I noticed I started to act differently. Instead of being so level, I'm very, very level. I was having these mood swings where I would just get really jealous or really sad or it was weird. And so towards the end of that seventh year, Scott looks at me and he's like, you really need to go get a new one put in because your hormones have changed. And I was like, you're right. So I talked to my OB and I said, like, what are my options at this point? I'm about to be 40. I don't want to have any more kids. Should I have like an ablation? Should I have my tubes tied? Should I try a different method of birth control? Should I try a copper IUD? Should I keep doing this? And she looked at me and said, I want to keep you on an IUD until you reach menopause. She was like, it's helping. And I don't know if this is true or not. I'm just telling you what she said. She said, this is help preventing uterine cancer. It's keeping everything thin inside. So you're, there's no way you could have cancer. And I was like, okay. And she said, this is working for you. You've never had a problem with it. And it's the best form of birth control. Let's just keep you on it. And with all the like... Morena, they, they do all this subsidizing as well. Of So the price is like, I think it cost me $40, $40 for the next seven years to not have a baby. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty sweet deal. So I think my question to you is I'm curious if what I have read about 
you coming off of birth control really does change the profile to the point where people are getting divorced or breaking up. And then what the hell do you do if you do like your partner, at least in your current state, and then you decide, I don't want to do this anymore, or I reach menopause and I don't need to have anything anymore. What does a woman do? Okay. So I'm going to do, I'm going to answer your questions in okay. reverse order. I'm ready. So the first thing is like, if you are a woman and you're considering and you're on the pill and you picked your partner when you're on the pill and, or hormonal birth control of any type, the IUD, what have you, and you chose your partner when, you know, and you're worried about going off of it, know that most of the time it's okay. So what the research seems to find is that for some women, there's no difference. For other women, it actually increases their attraction to their partner. And it's because they, you know, chose somebody who is like, you know, genetically and, you know, compatible and all that stuff without even knowing, you know, and, 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 and this is the case, you know, half the time, roughly half the time, right. Mm -hmm. You get a case where you just get increased attraction um, and you get increased sexual desire. Cause once you start cycling again, that usually is associated with an uptick in libido. Mm -hmm. And so that can be very positive. Um, in some cases it can lead women to say, oof, Ooh, yeah, I misjudged. Um, and that does happen, but it doesn't happen super frequently. You know, it doesn't, it, it, the, the research seems to suggest that it, it's like, a you know, some studies find that like in some populations of women, no differences, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you go off the pill, you feel the same about your partner as you did before. Other studies find this, uh, this opposite pattern, right? Whereas if you're with an attractive partner, you become more attracted to them and you desire sex with them more. And if you're with a less desirable partner, that it has the opposite effect where it's like, I mean, essentially what it does is it takes the blinders off. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go off of it, you take off the blinders and then once the blinders are off, that can have effects of no effect. It can have the effect of like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I ever did. Like, and now I get to really experience this person and the way they smell and they taste. And because a lot of times when you're on the a pill, that stuff gets blunted um, or you're not as engaged with those kinds of stimuli. Um, and how does the pill differ from like being on an I being with an IUD or even the injections? I'm assuming mm -hmm. you've studied all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in which was going to get me to your, okay, I'm sorry. Story. I didn't mean to jump no. Again. no, 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 but no, it's, I mean, this is a really great question. So the, I'm just trying the, to remember uh, me like at 14 and like, but then I wasn't really that close to boys, you know, I wasn't sniffing yeah. and licking them at 14. So I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And like, um, so for, uh, so with the, with the shot or with, um, the implant there, you're kind of getting this heavy, you're having your, um, HPG axis shut down. So that's your, your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis This is essentially your, the, the, the communication pathway for, between your brain and your ovaries. What those things do is they get shut down when you're on those things. So you don't ovulate and you're not producing your own hormones. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so your hormone levels are, are kept pretty low and you, and you generally like the blinders are going to be on. I mean, it's going to be just like the pill. Okay. You're going to have the blinders on, um, where you're not getting those boosts in estrogen. Cause estrogen is kind of what is kind of like taking the blinders off where you're like, Ooh, like I'm really into this. Um, and you know, and for ovulating women, what we tend to find is that, um, you know, when you're in the period of high fertility, like, right. You know, in the estrogenic phase of the cycle, like, you know, your sex partner just hits different. I mean, it just feels different. Their skin feels better. It's just like, it's just being, you just like, you know, you, they're, they're craveable. 
And, um, and, and some of that gets blunted when you aren't having, you know, these big estrogenic responses, um, that you get when you're naturally cycling. IUD is a funny one. And so, and so here's where we're going to get back to your story. So, so the hormonal IUD, um, for almost everybody who's on it, it's like 85% of women or something like that. When they first get it put in their, their brain ovary axis is, is shut down, right? So the communication pathway between the brain and the ovaries is shut down which means that women are not ovulating, which means that they're not producing their own hormones. And so for these women, we would expect them to respond just like women who are on the pill, right? Because that's what the pill does is it shuts all that down. And then you get these synthetic hormones instead. So with IUD, the crazy thing about it is that after, you know, so after a year of being on it, what they find is that for like about 80% of women, they're not ovulating. Okay. And so during that first year, most women aren't ovulating, but by the time they measure women, like five years later, mm-hmm. it's I mean like 80% of women are ovulating. Hmm. So at some point they start ovulating again, and it's still effective because the IUD works by keeping your cervical mucus sort of in, incompatible with pregnancy and a bunch of other things that like these mechanisms that aren't very well understood, but protect pregnancy in ways other than just not producing an egg, Mm -hmm. um, which is what these other, you know, forms of hormonal birth control do. So, you know, women who are on the IUD are a weird case because I don't know, you know, based on what somebody tells me about, um, like if they're on it, like it, what your experiences are going to be, are going to depend on whether you're ovulating or not, because Mm -hmm. most of the side effects are felt by women who are having their ovaries shut down. Um, because when they're not ovulating and not producing hormones, and they're not really getting a lot of hormone from the IUD, that's a very unnatural state for women's brains to be in. Um, like we are hormonal creatures. And if um, we don't have a lot of sex hormone in our system, it doesn't feel right. And a lot of times that can make women feel kind of weird um, and experience psychological side effects. Now, here's my guess about what, ha- what happened with you. And I, I now this is just like hearing what you told me. This is just a guess. Given that you were on it for a long time and that everything was good and life was amazing and you were having all your usual sexual things or whatever, mm-hmm. but then, and then things got weird is I'm wondering whether one of two things happened. One, it would, you know, maybe you weren't ovulating that whole time, right? You just weren't cycling. And then all of a sudden it's starting to wear off mm-hmm. and you're starting to have a hormonal transition that happens with perimenopause, which I mean, starts when you're 40. I mean, it starts when women are in their late, where you start to transition and whether some of those weird things that you were experiencing just aren't the result of some of the natural hormonal changes that go on that aren't fun and are really not, you know, pleasant for most women who are going through them. And so then getting a new IUD in where the hormone levels are now going to be higher because it's a brand new IUD, um, it's going to like then sort of set you straight, right? And like put you back into feeling normal again. Another possibility is that you were already ovulating, right? So you were on it and you're ovulating and whatever. And then that last year is just part of the, the again, you know, starting to the beginning of the, the perimenopausal transition mm. um, where there's something happening there because the only, yeah. So I, it, it could be any Fascinating. of the things. The IUD is, like I said, it's so weird because I could meet 10 different women who are all on it and their hormones could be absolutely different from one another, just depending on whether or not they've started ovulating or not. 
And so, and it's the only group that's like this, like there's no other form of hormonal birth control that is a black box in this way. Like you'd have to like test whether you're ovulating and and, and that's something that you can do using different types of hormone tests. But um, if you see whether you're ovulating or not, that also might give you some information, some like intel and like insight into what's happening. I'm honestly kind of scared of like, who would I be without an IUD? Would I be the crazy woman? Would I be the one that's like super emotional every month? Because what's interesting is when you have one, you don't, I don't really have a period every now and then I'll spot a little bit. So over the years, as I have just actually had a real one, even if it's two or three days, like required a tampon, I am like, this is fucking barbaric. Like I get mad. I am like, I don't understand why we're still bleeding. It's over. Like, I I don't know how many years ago it was that I had a period, but I, I was just like, this is fucking weird. And so my brain thinks I'm not supposed to have periods, but I'm a woman and I ovulate and I should. So it's just fascinating to me, especially because a lot of my friends are into like, they call it like their moon cycle and they're very in touch with their cycle and the moon and the the thing and the energy. And, and I'm just like, I don't understand because it's all right, like, you're like, just shut that, shut that shit down. It like, like doesn't exist remember. to me. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Here's the, here's the thing I'll say to you. You don't need to be scared. Like, so when we think about how hormones change people, kind of nudge people in different directions is generally not a sledgehammer, you know? And so, yeah. And so like generally, so for example, the people that we tend to see really fall apart either when they go on or off of the pill are people who have family predispositions toward, you know, the, the like having mental health problems, for example, mm. or inflammatory conditions. Um, and so it's, it's not something generally, and this isn't always true because there are some types of hormonal birth control that I mean, will absolutely like there was one product I use that I won't name, but I mean, I just cried solid. I was just like, I was every in, and I thought, so I was like, I think that the way that this works is by making me unfuckable. <laughs> just like such nobody such wants to ask you while you're sobbing the entire right, exactly. It's like <laughs> such a basket case that nobody would touch me. That's hilarious. Um, so bad, but, um, and, and, and so that people have these kinds of, uh, you know, issues, but for the most part, it's going to kind of nudge you. And for some people who are, again, you know, it's like with the, the sexual orientation thing, right. If you're kind of borderline, it might nudge you into one, or, but usually the people who are being nudged aren't like, oh my gosh, I was so heterosexual. Like I would just, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm so, you know, lesbian, like it just doesn't work that way. It's kind of like, kind of gives us a little, sh- a little, push. And so for the most part, what we tend to see is that it, it leads to, um, whispers and not shouts. So speaking of the whispers, one thing I've become very aware of in just the last few months is the more time that I get alone with women to have sex without Mm -hmm. Scott, the more that I crave women, like the more that I'm really opening up to this whole, like, this is delicious. And it's, and so I'm wondering as well, like just again, like kind of evolution and how we've been programmed and we're supposed to go find our husbands and have a house and children because we're not programmed, go find a girl. If you're a girl, right. That I haven't had and hadn't had time or experience to really play with this. And I'm finding that 
the more that I'm having a makeout session or the more that I'm having sex with women, the more I'm craving that and the more I want more of it. Does that make sense? Is that weird? Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And I think that, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like a function of, women's sexuality generally. Cause so, and it, were you ever this way with hetero? Cause so for me, um, and this is like, but it's it, based on my understanding of your podcast, there is no TMI. So no, 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 go for it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I find with myself, like, you know, if I haven't had sex in a couple of days where I'm like, ah, sex, I can take it or leave it. But then after I have sex then I'm like, okay, I need to have sex again. Like, and I need to have sex again. And mm-hmm. now I also need to have sex. And so <laughs> it's like, it's just like, kind of like, like it turns the switch on like, oh yeah. Like I forgot about this. Like, um, yeah. And, um, and so I wonder if, if there's some sort of a general thing that tends to lead to that regardless of the, you know, the sex of our partner or, um, but I mean, just like generally speaking about like the, you know, being um, sort of really open to this, you know, a new experience that you're having. Um, there's all of this really wonderful research on women's sexuality and how much more fluid it is relative to men's. And, um, and I don't know if you're aware of any of this uh, research, but um, there's been a lot of really great sex research um, looking at like what, you know, sort of turns men and women on and what they find for men is that like, if a man is a heterosexual or like a, like an obligate heterosexual or an obligate homosexual and you show them pornography, right. And it's like, they'll show them pornography of um, males having sex with males, males having sex with women, women having sex with women. And then they'll also show them pictures of bonobos, right. Having sex with each other. And what you see for men is that heterosexual men will become physically, because they actually use a plethysmograph to measure um, penile tumescence. So like, Mm -hmm. are they getting a little bit of a micro erection? Mm -hmm. So not just like what their reported feelings are, but like what they experience physiologically. And they do the same for women. I'm using a vaginal plethysmograph, which is you put it in your vagina and it measures blood flow. And, uh, And so what they find is with men is that it's very much like what they respond to is very mapped onto their sexual preferences. So for gay men, for example, heterosexual sex gets them aroused and men having sex with men gets them aroused. And the reason they're looking at naked men, right. Mm -hmm. And for, um, for heterosexual, uh, men for heterosexual men, because that was, that was for gay men that I was talking about. I I don't know if if I flipped it. For for uh, for straight men, it was looking at women having sex with women, and then men having sex with women because they're looking at women. There's women, right? Women, okay, doesn't matter. Okay, so if a woman is um, is bisexual, gay, or straight, mm-hmm. they have a response to all the different types of porn, including the bonobos. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so all of this just going to show that women are just more sexually fluid Mm -hmm. and that it's like less about who the target of our attraction is than it is about sexual arousal and attraction. And that for women, it can just really map onto different types of people in a way that it can't for men. And, um, you know, and the reason, you know, they've, there's a lot of different hypotheses about why this is true. And, you know, it's sort of the explanations for this that have been given is like one, which is a very um, depressing, but unfortunately true part of it is just that because, you know, for women, um, unfortunately, sexual violence has been something that has been, you know, something that we've had to deal with since the time of, you know, we've been around as a species, having a body that physiologically responds to things. 
um, even if like we don't necessarily feel consciously that we're into it, like the bonobos, for example, the women don't report that they're feeling sexually aroused, but their body is feeling aroused, mm -hmm. um, that this is something that would be very protective in that context. But the other part of it is that for women, um, having relationships that you solidify with sex is something that provides us with a lot of benefits that aren't available to men. Um, just in terms of, because women can use sex as currency in a way that men cannot, um, just meaning that we use it a lot of times instrumentally, um, like to feel close to a partner or to build a relationship, right? Whereas men don't really use sex that way in the same way that we do. And so just this idea that women have this uh, lability when it comes to their, um, their like what's arousing to them and that sort of thing, um, simply because it allows us to use sex as a tool in addition to using sex as, you know, something that's enjoyable. Um, but because of this, I think it opens up our sexuality in these big, you know, really cool ways um, in ways that that men's don't, which is why you tend to see fewer men that are kind of open to different types of relationship um, mm -hmm. patterns than, than women. Which is so fascinating. It's also fascinating. And I'm sure they're programmed that way because of procreation. Like yeah. we need you to be attracted to this certain thing so that we can continue to like forward humankind. And then right. with women, it's just like, whatever. We'll yeah, well, no, exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. I feel like I could go on forever with you because I have a bunch of other really fun topics that maybe we could go into, but we have already been here for an hour. <laughs> can you believe it? No, I can't. That's so funny. <laughs> So well, I want to just drop something and maybe we come back on and talk about this. Scott okay. and I have been playing with um, desire and kind of patterning for specific desire. So I didn't realize until just a few months ago that when he watches porn, he watches porn with women that look like me. Okay. And he's like, I do it because I want to be attracted even more attracted to you. And I want to pattern my attraction and train it to be for you. And so I don't, isn't this fascinating? And I was like, yeah. what? What are you talking about? I was like, I kind of watch everything, which is goes back to women being fluid. I'm like, I sometimes get really curious and I watch, I watch threesomes where the men are bisexual so I can see guys have sex. And that's really hot to me. That sometimes then leads me to like gay porn. And then sometimes I watch, I don't know, like horny housewife porn. And like, it's always something different. And I, I'm really drawn to the redheads and the blondes and that like, I like all of the variety of it. And so, but he's, he was like, well, this is the way I want to pattern myself. Like, this is the way I want to teach myself. And I was like, okay. So I've started playing with it. And after that conversation, we started creating our own kind of spank bank of material of our okay. own pictures and our own videos and our partners. And so I now, instead of running to my ethical porn site, which really takes a while for me to get into, I just drop right into our own content of me giving him a blowjob or him fucking me where I've got the audio turned on and I instantly can melt into yumminess and I can actually orgasm faster. That's fascinating. That's I have so no idea if you've played with this at all. No, I'm no, I'm not. You know, and I haven't heard. I haven't heard. This is the first I've heard of this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's like um, not something that other people know about. I've never heard of this, but I think that it's really fascinating. I and I'm wondering, like, if this works. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, like because I think about all of the because you know, especially like. 
people in long-term monogamous relationships, which are hard to keep, you know, the, the sexual chemistry. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just hard. And so like whether this sort of thing would actually be really palliative to these, you know, um, suffering sex lives, because what a, what an interesting idea, right. Or for not even suffering, like how does it amp up your chemistry with your partner when now every time you see them, you're like, I was just masturbating to you this morning, like last night. Okay. I have a crazy high sex drive, crazy high. Like I could have sex five, 10 times a day if I would, I don't, but I could. So I like it every day if not every right. other day. And so yeah. if he's not available or I don't, and my other partners aren't available, I have sex with myself. So last right. night I went to bed and I was, he was busy and doing whatever it's, he's not responsible for, to give me orgasms. I'm responsible for myself. So I was like, I'm going to go to bed. Safe. Yeah. I'm like, you don't have to come. I'm going to masturbate because I'm really fucking horny. And I got out our spank bank and I was like, oh, there's seven here. I forgot. And it, and it just like, it's instant. It's amazing how it instantly draws me into the moment where I was like, I remember cause I was there or like, I remember I wore that outfit and you came over to me at lunch and asked what I was doing and you came and you were hard and I got on my knees and I blew you right there. I have a picture and a video of that and I can drop right into it. And so it's interesting because you think no one's doing this because we have the giant cafeteria in front of us. Why would we choose macaroni and cheese every day to eat? Right. right. But we could condition ourselves to crave macaroni and cheese every day. I don't know why I chose that, but out of the cafeteria, that's yeah. probably what I would go for first, right? Yeah, no, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arbs. Um, so no, it's just a thought. I just thought I'd throw it out there and I was curious as a researcher if you ever- No, I think, that's, I, know, I think it's fascinating. And I think that there's something there. And even like for people who aren't quite as adventurous, who'd want to film themselves, for example, like I'm just like thinking of like, mm-hmm. you know, like- a, like a you know more, a more puritanical side of things, like whether wa- just watching porn with people who look like their partner, like whether or not that could be like really, you know, like juicy so, for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like or whether you know, or and I was thinking on the other side too, like people who like have an issue because they watch too much porn, and and so that it's kind of you know because you hear that a lot about like how men are watching too much porn and it's kind of ruining them for like real people like uh-huh. for human women um for heterosexual men and whether you know if you've got a dude like this and um mm-hmm. and he's like trying to invest in a relationships but he but he's finding himself in this space like mm-hmm. whether if he started to like really curate his porn collection to feature people that are more like his partner whether or not that would sort of create the kink around his partner and that mm-hmm. would then give him the type of sexual um, fulfillment that, you know, he felt maybe was lacking before that. And I think that's a really mm. fascinating idea in a way, like, cause I think that, you know, it's like the, the tendency that society has to think about porn is that it's bad and it's evil and it ruins relationships. But I, I think it can be a tool, right. A really great tool. Um, and coming up, you know, thinking of ways that we can sort of use our porn strategically, uh, mm. within the context of a relationship, I think is fascinating. I also love, um, I love anything audible, audible porn. So I'm really into that. And I feel like it's such a great tool to Mm -hmm. remind us to use our minds, to use our imagination. Sometimes it puts you in a situation mentally that you're like, oh, that would be fun. I can bring that into the bedroom the next time. Also, you get to use your mind and who you imagine that your partners look like, right? right? So you can pull from current partners or previous partners or people that you've never met that you imagined in a book or whatever, um, yeah, and you can also make your, 
Yeah. You can also make yourself who you want too. That's you know, because there was this really great study. Um, so there's a, a sexologist at, uh, and she studies women's sexuality at, um, at UT Austin, where I did my undergraduate degree. And her name is Cindy Mestin and she's fabulous psychologist. And she was doing studies on, you know, what sexual arousal in women. Mm -hmm. And generally what you find when you put like people in front of a mirror and they see themselves and you like show them some sort of an emotionally evocative thing, they become even more engaged in it when they see themselves. So for example, if you show them something Mm -hmm. scary and they're looking at themselves, they're like extra scared. What she found was sexual arousal is that um, if you're watching porn and you see yourself, it actually kills your libido. It just makes you not into it. But I think it's because for women, so much of desire and 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 you know is is imagining yourself as this like you know this this seductress and whatever. And when you're looking at yourself and you like see that you have a crease under your eye right there, and you know what I mean, like a little funky thing happening with your eyebrow, where then it like totally kills your libido because you can't oh, imagine yeah. yourself as this like you know, you see the, you know, your, whatever your kid left on your shirt or whatever. And it just like kills it because part of the fantasy is imagining yourself as this like object of desire. And, um, Mm -hmm. and which, which I think is really fascinating with, um, with women's sexuality. And again, this is one of those things where it seems to be very female specific. That's fascinating because I actually feel the opposite where I want to watch. I'm a very high voyeur. And so we were having a three-way a week ago or so. And I pulled, I have this big, tall mirror and I pulled it right by the bed and I had Scott and our female partner and me, and I was like riding him and I can see her ass in the mirror and I can see my ass going up and down on him. And I was so fucking turned on. I just had an orgasm just looking in the mirror. So I enjoy watching me again, yeah, because well, I'm- but you're in a sexual act. So do you True. think that you just like, like if you, if, it, if you were just like sitting in a chair in your sweater and like watching porn and you see yourself out of the corner of your eye, do you think that you'd be like, Wow. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'll have um, to play with this because the mirror is still there. So I could, you know, take a look. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Just like I've done yeah. mirror exercises where like you look at your vulva and you, and sometimes I'm like, I'm a little turned on by this. Right. Yeah. So, yeah but yeah. I feel like I'm very mentally wired like a guy. And so maybe that's why maybe I'm wired differently than the majority of women that are like, I don't want to look at my crease in my eye or I'm just right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. I love it. You're like, show me that crease. Show me every crease. <laughs> I love the crinkles in your eye. <laughs> love it. Oh That's- my God, Sarah, this has been so much fun. I feel like we could just talk forever. Yeah. What if people are listening and they're like, I fucking need more Sarah in my life. What do you want them to do next? Um, they can go find me on either on my website, which is sarahehill.com, and that's Sarah with an H, or um, I'm on social, um, and my handle is Sarah E. Hill PhD across all platforms. I'm most active on Instagram. Awesome. So people should follow you first. And what about your book? Who is your book for? So my book is for, it's just for women. I mean, honestly, the first, um, if you're a biological female and have ovaries and um, then I, I wrote the book and, and, and not to exclude anybody, but the book is is written about like what it means to have a cycle and what it means to have cycling hormones. And then what happens when we turn the volume off on that. Um, and so the first couple of chapters are just spent explaining like 
biologically, what does it mean to be a biological female and to have ovaries and to cycle? Mm -hmm. And how do our different cycling sex hormones influence the way that we think and feel and experience the world? And then what do we know about hormonal birth control and the way that that changes all of that? And then we sort of Mm -hmm. march through the way that it affects sexual desire, the way that it affects partner preferences, the way that it affects mental health, um, and sort of in the way it affects our stress response. And we sort of mm-hmm. march through the different um, things that the research has been investigating. So this has been amazing. Thank you so much. For those of you listening, I'll put all the links to Sarah in the notes below. Please stop whatever you're doing now that you're at the end of this podcast and go follow her and just watch, watch, listen, maybe buy her book. And, and learn some new stuff. This is fantastic and so fascinating. And just go be curious. Hey there. Did you know that I do online coaching? Yes, I do online coaching in the sex and relationship space. Some of the topics that are near and dear to my heart are open relationships. So that includes polyamory, swinging, or what we call the lifestyle. I also love conversations around online dating. We're talking Bumble, Tinder, Field, and more. And then the last thing that's really passionate and close to my heart is conscious uncoupling. That means we get to break up with people with love and respect, with dignity and hope. Um, We get to create a life for our children that gets to be a little bit different. We can do things better than we have in the past. So if any of these topics sound interesting to you and you'd love to get some coaching from me, check out the link in the show notes or the link in my bio for more information on coaching with Jen.